Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. This is our weekly edition of uh, Reviewing the News called Just Ask the Press. And with me, as always is editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, and former federal prosecutor, Michael Zeldin. And today we're going to unpack quite a bit. Uh, there have been missiles fired in Israel. Israel has declared war on Hamas. Donald Trump, as it was disclosed, shared some more nuclear secrets because, you know, why not? And then, uh, in the meantime, over in the House, they're trying to search for a new speaker after kicking out uh, Kevin McCarthy. Biden has changed his uh, opinion on the border wall. Donald Trump drops the suit against Michael Cohen, which is of great interest to Michael Cohen and a few others. And at the end of the day, the economy added 330,000 jobs, we're told, and Joe Biden doesn't get credit. But he does get credit for the war in the Middle East. So we'll, we'll unpack all of that and uh, take a short break, and we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me once again, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Rocall, John Bennett. And guys, I guess we'll start off with the, the big news of the day, of course, is that uh, rockets were fired by Hamas into Israel. Uh, as many as 100 or more are dead. There is considerable concern, and Anthony Blinken says the it, uh, Biden administration is trying to verify whether or not the facts that uh, there were Americans that died in the blasts or if any of the Americans are being held hostage. No confirmation yet on that. At the same time, Israel has declared war. People are blaming Joe Biden because uh, of a deal made with Iran, although the Biden administration was very quick to point out that none of the funds released to Iran have, uh, as of yet, been released anywhere. They're still being held, and that we monitor them and can freeze them again at any point in time if they aren't used for humanitarian supplies. Nonetheless, many uh, uh, members of the GOP have blamed Biden. Uh, a couple of quick questions come to mind, and and I guess we'll start first on, on the uh, congressional side of it with with you john um <laughs> you pointed out that in the sunday shows uh we're not uh, if if and we'll get to that issue later of course who will be the speaker but they're in no mood to spend and they can't even they can't even come together to um 
verify uh, our own troops, making sure that the people in uh, the military are properly put in their proper positions. We haven't allocated money for that. Tommy Tuberville holds up those promotions. Um, how are we going to support Israel in this? Or as you said, you can talk a little bit about that. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any monetary component to us supporting Israel. Yeah, a lot's made of uh, you know, the U.S. designed and built Iron Dome missile defense system. And, you know, it, it looks like it, it again, eventually, at least yesterday, saved a lot of lives, it looks like. But, you know, one thing about any missile defense system, you know, when you start firing uh, missiles in defense, <laughs> yeah. um, you use a lot of them and you need to replenish them. And um, we... You know, we help Israel with that. It's not like, you know, they're they're stroking checks for every missile that they buy from us um, and our defense companies. So with Republicans, especially in the House, but also a lot of Senate Republicans, I mean, they the Senate was working on its own continuing resolution funding bill and they they blocked Mitch McConnell. They voted in conference to not advance their own CR last week that had Ukraine funding. Um, and, you know, McConnell supported the Ukraine funding piece of it. He had to go out and announce that 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 his own conference, which he usually has a, you know, a vice grip on, uh, disagreed with him and they weren't going to advance that. So the Republican Party is not in a spending mood right now, but especially on for, on on foreign aid. Um, the that and this is the America first Donald Trump influence on the party. This is really where you can see it. And, you know, they're 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 a lot of them, especially House Republicans, they're done with Ukraine funding. Uh, Israel is different for a lot of reasons, uh, but it was notable that Jim Jordan, one of the two, uh, at least right now, the two candidates for Speaker of the House. Oh, by the way, there's no Speaker of the House. Yeah. Uh, when Jim Jordan, Ohio Republican, who was a founding member of the Freedom Caucus, but he since, you know, he didn't go completely native, but he is a committee chair now. Um, a judiciary, he said on one of the Sunday shows that if he's speaker, the House will quickly act on a resolution in support of Israel. Well, you have to get technical here for a second. A resolution in either chamber doesn't do anything. It doesn't appropriate money. It doesn't authorize, you know, it doesn't authorize the government to do anything. It's just the mood of a chamber. And and again, the, especially the House Republican Conference, they're not in a spending mood. So it'll be interesting to see how this this will now change the speaker race and, and among other things that it will change, because, um, you know, Netanyahu, the Israeli president, is signaling that this will not be a short retaliation, that this will be a long, drawn out um, war. I mean, he says Israel is now at war with Hamas and others. So this will impact the speaker's race this week. Um, how far are the two candidates? The other is Majority Leader Steve Scalise. Uh, people think he's the candidate of the moderates. I know we're going to get into that a little later. Um, we'll see if Scalise is willing to go a little further and, you know, promise if they need to, if the if the White House comes to Congress and, you know, Israel needs $5 billion and they needed it yesterday, we'll see what the Republicans do. Um my sense is well, we'll it, get all into all that. You're yeah, right. My sense is an Israel emergency aid package would pass Congress. Um, that's what my gut says, but I'm not I'm not all the way there yet. Uh, oh. It might it might sneak a ride on some kind of funding package at the end of the year. 
not sneak a ride. It might get tacked on, but a standalone bill. I'm. We'll see. If if not for Israel, then 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 you know U.S. foreign aid has taken a dramatic turn here. But but my sense is it would get through Congress if Biden asked for it. Yeah, uh, Michael. Well, so this is really troubling if you look at the world. Israel is going, going to be at uh, war with probably Hamas and um, Hezbollah, and who knows who else. Um, this is you know, clearly a proxy war of, of some of some sort. We'll have to see what Saudi Arabia does here, and then you've got Ukraine, and so I mean you've got and Africa. You've got a lot of stuff going on, which is why when you look at the pictures of presidents at the beginning of their term and at the end of their term, except <laughs> perhaps for Donald Trump, who didn't seem to worry about the world around him, um, all these presidents age, you know, exponentially uh, uh, over the course of, of their yeah. of their term. But it's very troubling stuff. And, you know, I'm no expert on anything foreign for, foreign affairs related but it seems we're at a at a tipping point uh you know in both our personal democracy here in America and and globally and how this plays out is going to be complicated and the question that i have from a domestic policy standpoint is whether or not biden who i think has gotten good marks generally for his foreign affairs stewardship while in president, bringing NATO back together and forming coalitions. And there's stories in the press about how leaders from other countries call on him as, you know, sort of the the adult in the room among adults. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> whether this plays into his, to his advantage, meaning in these times of international turbulence, um, can we afford someone who has no foreign affairs experience. The only one who has foreign affairs experience is uh, Nikki Haley. And you notice Nikki Haley has been the most tempered in her observations about what's going on in the Middle East and, and Biden's sort of, quote unquote, responsibility for it. But, you know, all the other Republican candidates have zero foreign affairs uh, qualifications. And so it'll be interesting to see you know, beyond the the global catastrophic potential of all of all these things, how this plays out domestically. Well, you know, you you mentioned something that strikes me as as the question to ask: Are we at the beginning or in the middle of World War III? There's wars going on all across Africa. You got the war in Ukraine, which is a proxy war. You have war now in the Middle East. There seems to be, I mean. <laughs> There are very few places left on the planet where there aren't troops marching. And so I I, I just wonder if at the end of the day, we're going to look back on this historically and go, this was the beginning or the end of World War III. Hopefully it's not the end of civilization. I, I hate to be dour or dire, but uh, it, it makes one wonder, particularly with all that's going on. So it, it boils down to what you said. You want a steward in the White House who understands foreign affairs, because these are very tricky times. And yet, as we talk about this today, there has been no stopping uh, members of the GOP, including Marjorie, the usual suspects, of saying that, you know, it's all Biden's fault. 
And so, John, we take that with a grain of salt, or, <laughs> or is it politics as usual? Do they understand what the hell they're talking about? <laughs> well, that's a hell of a question, Brian. Uh, <laughs> I try every well, once in a while. Yeah. Well, look, uh, you know, any sitting president is going to get some blame when there's instability around the world. Um, and this one, even though, you know, Michael's right, he has gotten pretty high marks, um, you know, especially from U.S. allies. Um, he's never going to get high marks from especially House Republicans. You know, some Senate Republicans on foreign policy will grudgingly say that was a good idea or or they're doing they're doing OK um, on, on this. Um, now, as far as as the Israeli. Um, war i guess we have to call it that um well they they declared war on hamas so yeah it's a yeah, war yeah um you know israelis israel's own intelligence agency missed this and, and of course the us and the west western intelligence missed it too so you know i think netanyahu will get a fair amount of criticism uh for what happened and what is happening uh, I mean, you know, all these all these Hamas fighters and that fired thousands of missiles at, into Israel. And, you know, how did those those just didn't show up? I don't think they did not build them on the other side of the border. They, these things were were probably probably arrived by sea, I would guess, um, maybe by air, too. So uh, it's it's not something you get in a UPS shipment. Right. So, you know, they didn't they didn't go on Amazon Prime and order all these rockets, <laughs> you know, so this this feels to me like a very long planned operation by Hamas and it's 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 supporters. And of course, we know who those supporters are. And they it starts in Tehran. Uh, the Iranians are, are big suppliers and, and backers and funders of Hamas. So what we and have who backs here, them. Uh, Russia, China, yes. uh, not the Saudis, we, not the Saudis, no. <laughs> um, but that's an interesting part that we can get into here. What what is Saudi Arabia, as Michael uh, alluded to? What what do they do now? Um, but what we you have these proxy wars going on, so you you don't see you know these these great power wars anymore. But uh, Ukraine is very much much a proxy war. The the U.S. and the West against Russia, and now we're going to have another proxy war in the Middle East. Um, so no, I don't think we're in World War Three, but we're in this we're in this unique moment in history where the the West is very much at war with um with these hardline regimes, Russia, Iran, and others, and we're not fighting them directly, but we're fighting them. Yeah, yeah, that's so. But you bring up something that. Um is the second bit that we want to talk about today. And that is, and I'll let you unpack some of this, Michael, Donald Trump sharing nuclear secrets once again. Right. So in the indictment for the Mar-a-Lago case, Donald Trump is charged with illegal retaining of documents. So it is simply, he took them with him. He didn't give them back. He was an ob under an obligation to do so, and his failure to do so and his obstructive behavior is what got him charged. In the indictment, paragraphs 35 and 36, he is said to have shared 
classified documents with people unauthorized to see classified documents. He was not charged with the distribution, dissemination of them, just the retention of other documents. Now it comes along, and I'm sure Jack Smith knew this uh, for a long time. He may have shared another document, this relating to U.S. nuclear submarine capacity. Again, this dissemination is not charged by Jack Smith, and it doesn't even find its way into the superseding indictment that Smith returned when he added um, the extra person who was part of the the cover-up. So it does invite the question of what is this all about? Why, if he is he that it is Trump in that sense. Why, if uh, former President Trump is sharing uh, classified information, is he not being charged with the sharing? So the prosecutor to me says, essentially, huh, I don't get it. Something is is not transparent to us. But even if Jack Smith says, you know what, I just want to keep this case clean and simple did you have documents? Were you asked for the documents? Did you return the documents? Did you try to cover up um, our uh, attempts to get them? That's all I'm going to ask you jurors to to rule on. You get it. Maybe that's what he wants to do. Simple, clean um, case. But sharing nuclear secrets is the sort of thing that you would think one should be charged with, even if yeah. it's not part of the illegal retention case that it could be a separate freestanding indictment saying, oh, in addition to all that stuff, on three separate occasions, he illegally shared classified nuclear um, secrets with with foreign nationals. And you'd think there would be charges brought against it. So I say it's a pattern of behavior. We now have three instances of uh, allegations of sharing classified documents but three instances where uh, no charges were brought. And as I said, it could be understood to say, I just want a simple indictment. I don't want to have to clutter this up with the sharing stuff. Um, But it's a little bit puzzling. All right. Well, let me ask you point blank. If you were running this investigation, if if you had Jack Smith's job, would you pursue charges against him for distributing unauthorized distribution of nuclear secrets? The answer is, it depends on the evidence. If the evidence is clear that he had nuclear secrets that he knew to be nuclear secrets, which he knew to be classified, which he knew could not be shared, and he intentionally shared them with another, yes. If it's something less than that, I don't know that I want to get into that in a case when I have a straightforward failure to return and obstruction right. case. John, does this affect Donald Trump in, in any stretch of the imagination on the campaign trail? <laughs> it hasn't so far. I mean, you know, I know I sound like a broken record time, you know, with those independent voters in those four to six states, you know, how in tune with this are they right now and what will this matter when the general election really starts next summer i'm not sure i will note um i will note that you know the us and australia and the united kingdom 
it would seem after Mr. Trump shared this information um, uh, with an Australian, announced a nuclear sub deal that will see Australia buy nuclear subs from the U.S. Here's our bright, not new shiny boat. Take a look and buy one. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not trying to say that 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 had one had to do with the other, but right. it it don't look good for for Trump. That's for sure. Uh, that we announced this big deal because if he gave away information, could the individual have somehow used it um, for for his personal gain? I mean, these these U.S. defense firms are publicly traded companies, so you know you could potentially, um, you know, I'm not saying that that happened. It just it doesn't look good because that deal was just announced. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if Jack, but then you know Jack Smith. To to Michael's point, which I think is is right, uh, if he wants to keep this fairly clean and straightforward, um, you know, maybe he'll look into this. I'm sure he'll look into this. Um, but I'm if sure he not, already has. Yeah, if, if if it's not egregious or if it will complicate his his case uh, during the trial, I don't I don't think he adds a charge. But we have seen him add charges, so you can't rule it out. There you go. Well, on that specific note, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the fun and frivolity of the U.S. Congress and how they need to find a Speaker of the House. So stick around. That's, that's coming up next on America's Most Wanted. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, and welcome back to America's Most Wanted. I'm your host. No, actually, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. But we are in search of, of someone. There is a wanted man out there, uh, or a woman, uh, a wanted person. And that what we want is a Speaker of the House. But this week, it looks like, uh, well, we may not have one for a while or then again maybe we could but in so much as it took what 15 ballots last time to get a speaker and let's remind everyone why we're looking for a speaker kevin mccarthy was tossed out on his tookus after he went across the aisle and worked with democrats to make sure that the government wouldn't be shut down and then the GOP, which uh, apparently will handle all levels of incompetency because Kevin McCarthy for nine months proved himself to be quite incapable and incompetent, but um, he had to be totally incompetent to keep his job, and he wasn't. The day he did his job right and struck a deal with the Democrats, he got canned. So now the Republicans are out shopping for a new Speaker of the House, a job that apparently only two people may want, or a third if you consider Donald Trump. Uh, they're searching for a brand new speaker. The two leading candidates are Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. And uh, before we get to the round of question and answer and discussion, you have to bring up Liz Cheney, who spoke over the weekend and said Jim Jordan was a 
uh, was one of the planners of uh, uh, January 6th and that he was uh, and if he is made speaker of the house which she doesn't think will happen then you can give up any hope of republicans defending the constitution we'll open that up with you michael jim jordan has a subpoena outstanding uh from the january 6th committee <clears throat> excuse me i'll say it all over jim jordan has a subpoena which he has not responded to from the bipartisan january 6th committee he has um acted contemptuously of congress and its proper oversight responsibilities it defies credulity to think that a, per a person who defies the constitutional obligations of congress to oversee um the way the laws are being carried out so that new legislation can be enacted and etc doesn't comply with that, how can that person be Speaker of the House? I mean, how is it possible that a person who's contemptuous of that very body can be in charge of that very body? I don't understand how Republicans could even think that that's a tenable choice, but that's just me. And <laughs> they seem to think otherwise. Look, you, you're employing logic, and clearly that's not the case in the House of Representatives. I can't think of anything that they've done that is logical, but you know what? If I were if I were um, a, a Republican from a swing district in in New York, I'd be thinking about decoupling myself from the Republican Party because <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going to get reelected. Um, they if they vote for Jim Jordan, I don't see how uh, those swing district um, Republicans in New York get reelected. And if I were if I were in their situation, I might say, you know what, this clown show, as one of them called it, has got to stop, and I'm disassociating myself from them, reducing uh, their majority or maybe eliminating their majority. How many do they need to to defect? Eighteen. How many do they need to de defect? Oh, five. five. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they'll get five. They could get three. Yeah. And they're going to lose. They're going to definitely lose a congressional seat in Alabama, and they may lose one in a few other states that have now to put in unconstitutional, put in constitutional congressional districts. So, you know. There you go. So, John, uh, what this brings to, what I think of as I think about it is, and uh, Michael makes a point here is, man, whoever's going to be the next speaker, if we get one anytime soon, may only have that job at most a year before the house flips and they lose it right well no one likes the term especially no one in this race right now or in or anyone who has endorsed either of the gentlemen in the race likes the term caretaker speaker um <laughs> paul ryan was very much a caretaker speaker he hated the term yep. and ultimately that you know, that aura was over his speakership and uh, that didn't last long either by, you know, historical references. He was out of there. Um, and, you know, this race, it, it's interesting. I actually am starting to think we will, by the time we reconvene here next week, we will have a speaker. Um, uh, uh, Congressman Hearn, Tom, uh, Kevin Hearn, I believe from uh, Texas, was going to get in or was thinking about getting in, make this a three a three-man race, and he said in his statement that he will not run for speaker because he's talked to a lot of his colleagues, 
And within the Republican conference, what he keeps hearing is they want unity and they want to get to it as soon as possible. So, you know, we could see a few ballots on the floor. Republicans will meet um, first on Monday to have kind of a family discussion. And then on Tuesday, uh, they will hear from from the two candidates, Mr. Scalise and Mr. Jordan, uh, Tuesday evening, and they'll sleep on it. They'll argue. They'll talk to reporters in the hallways. And then Wednesday morning, they'll vote in conference, and that will trigger the floor process to start. Now, remember, McCarthy won the vote in conference. So it, it, it means something, but it doesn't because McCarthy had to go to 15 ballots, as you said, Brian. Um, but I do sense that Republicans know even the Gates 8, Matt Gates, who pushed the resolution to vacate the speakership, even they know this isn't a super terrific look for their party. And I think even they eventually this week will will want to bring this to a resolution. Um, I don't get the sense that that the Gates eight are, you know, they're they're not frustrated by their two choices. I, th I think they're OK with these two choices. Um, and uh, this is not an endorsement. This is just my sense of where the conference is and where the party is right now and where the, that base is. But, you know, I'll play Lee Corso for a second on college game day. And if you if I had to put on a Scalise head or a Jim Jordan head right now, I'm reaching uh, for the Jim Jordan head. I just have a it's just a feel for the conference that I have. And, and I just think he's more in line with where they are. And I think Republicans understand they need the, the biggest personality possible to manage all the other personalities in that conference. And, you know, I, I think that that Jordan fits the bill right now better than Scalise. I think Scalise stays on as majority leader and I think he'll help Jordan. He'll I think Jordan will need help uh, trying to keep the conference together. Something McCar McCarthy didn't really ask for Scalise's help a lot. He leaned on Patrick McHenry and Garrett Graves, who aren't even in in leadership. And and that didn't work out so well. Tom Emmer. What does that tell you? You know, I, I hate to interrupt, but a couple no. of things you bring to mind is. He couldn't rely on them. So how, I mean, McCarthy wasn't, he, he's many things, but including foolish, but he, but, yeah. but he did have a sense. I mean, he had been there for a while. So <laughs> him not relying on leadership tells me something. And at the same time, when you say they want to push for unity, what does that mean? Does that mean because what Matt Gates and the far right want is unity under them, a minority bunch of, of representatives mm -hmm. who don't represent the mainstream and at the same time, even if you get a vote, I don't know if we're going to get any kind of legislation out of this or any no. kind of action at all out of this uh, uh, House of Representatives during you know, until you know uh, another election. And it seems like we'll be back 43 days from now with a government shutdown. So, I mean, what does unity mean? Does that mean drag them all over to the right? I think the conference has moved to the right. And, and that's another reason I think that Mr. Jordan, uh, I think he has an edge in this race. Now, if you're looking, has anything changed? If, if that seems to be kind of the, the underlying question in your question, you know, it's a lot like here locally, um, you know, people thought the Washington Commanders had changed as an organization when Dan Snyder sold the team. And then Thursday <laughs> night, they get blown out at home by by the worst team in the league. Um, so nothing well, has changed. formerly so, the worst team in the league. So now they're the worst team, right? Yeah. So nothing's changed in Ashburn yet. 
I think one way to look at the Republican conference in the House and, and, and start to start to make that determination that something has changed is if they can change the rule on the motion to vacate and raise the threshold um, for kicking for, for making that vote a requirement, anything north of one, which is what Mr. Gates was able to to use to, to start this process. If they can get that back to five, I believe that's where it was, or or north of five, and that passes the House, and Jordan or Scalise, whoever the speaker is, uses Democratic votes to help that get to 218, 217, whatever the number is that day, um, then then I think you can say something is changing in the party. Short of that, you, you have to look at, and Jordan said this uh, on Fox News this morning, he, he understands that really the first thing they have to do um, after maybe some kind of uh, Israel uh, funding bill or aid bill, they have to deal with his next government shutdown threat in mid-November. So Jordan's already looking. Now, he didn't say what that is, um, but there is a, 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 a realization, at least from Jordan, I, I know Scalise knows this too, that they have to do something on spending. So the whoever the new speaker is will be tested immediately. And the Gates 8, the, their their underlying problem here was government spending. The government spends too much, no CR, because that's just a continuation of what the Democrats did last Congress, even if it's 30 days, 45 days. So they're not going to be ready. Uh, they're not. The, the Senate hasn't passed a single one of its funding bills. The House has only passed four of the 12. So they're not going to both pass all their bills between now and Thanksgiving. By the way, the Senate's out this week. They're on a, a pre-planned recess. So they're not moving spending bills. And a, a lot of them are overseas. So they're not even talking. Um, so they're not going to be ready to pass a full year funding bill. So they're going to have to do another temporary bill in November. And and that is going to that is going to anger the Gates eight for the for the same reasons that they just pushed out McCarthy. So the, the next speaker could be, he could find himself right back here in less than a month. So it's not clear how the next speaker maneuvers all of this. And short of changing that rule, boy, we could just do this over and over again. Yeah, we're screwed, blued and tattooed. Michael, do you think there's any hope in hell that they'll find a solution before we have to shut the government down in 43 days? Well, not if Jim Jordan is the speaker because he voted to shut it down. So, you know, if all of a sudden he is a person who is going to rise to the occasion, despite his <clears throat> despite his past record, he now, by virtue of the enormity of the uh, responsibility he has, the third person in line to be president of the United States, uh, he rises to the occasion and puts aside his, you know, partisan um ship uh it doesn't seem probable but you know people do rise to the occasion and, oh, and they and they surprise you sometimes they also surprise you in the other direction uh, <laughs> but you know one can always hold out hope that when one realizes the enormity of the situation uh and uh, and the position that they're in in respect to that situation that they rise to it you know he's not a stupid guy jordan um so you know maybe he gets it but he has no track record of getting it um he has no real bipartisan background uh he is a culture 
uh, warrior. So it doesn't give you a lot of optimism, but you never know. Well, and it, well, you talk about changing lanes. I mean, it, it is surprising sometimes things that members of government will do, including Joe Biden, which who reversed his who, well, it was said that he reversed his tactics this week on the border wall and has agreed to build or fund parts of the border wall that were previously funded. Um, I'll, I'll let you kick off with that, John. Was, was that surprising to you in any way, shape, or form? A little, yes. Um, uh, this is an, a situation I covered uh, defense budgeting and, and federal budgeting uh, for longer than I'd like to remember. So I understand fully the president's explanation here, which is uh, this was in a funding bill and and sometimes you sign a funding bill and you don't love everything in it, but you don't want the government to shut down. And, you know, apparently one of these provisions was, um, you know, the, the executive branch does have authority to reprogram money, um, but they have to get the approval of you know, the relevant committees on Capitol Hill. And the administration did want to move this money out of the border wall, border barrier. Oh, by the way, Barack Obama's administration uh, paid for plenty of border barrier. There is border barrier. Um, Brian, I'm sure you remember the day when we were arguing in the briefing room about Ballard fencing and the <laughs> definition of Ballard fencing. So um, that's probably where the administration is headed with this. Uh, maybe we'll get more pictures passed out in the briefing room. That was a memorable day for me. It was a memorable obviously. day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so what the, the president says, I was bound by the law. I can't reprogram the money. We made the request. And, you know, Republicans who control the House committees said, no, you can't move the money around. Um, so I understand his technical legal argument. And he said this week, you know, he told reporters, I'm not going to break the law here. I'm going to follow the law. Um, interesting that 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 liberals, progressives, Democrats are are really slamming President Biden, who says, I have to follow the law. I'm not going to break the law when for four years, you know, we heard from them almost by the minute that Donald Trump was breaking the law as president. And it's almost as if they want President Biden to just go, oh, go ahead and break the law because we agree with you. It's fine. Um, boy, there's a lot of hypocrisy in politics, isn't there? Well, this issue particularly has a bit of hypocrisy. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas wrote this week, it is necessary to waive certain laws, regulations, and other legal requirements in order to ensure the expeditious construction of barriers <laughs> right. and roads. We can waive laws, but when the other guy does it. Yeah, then it's bad. <laughs> right. Michael? <laughs> well, it is It is a bit of a trick bag here. Congress allocates money in 2019 under Trump to expand border wall um, construction. And the Biden administration asks Congress to rescind that and they refuse to. And so I suppose he could you know, act contemptuously of Congress and just flat out refuse to spend it. Or he can say, I'm spending this because the law requires me to do so. And in this day and age where we have so many people who are ignoring legal obligations, it's not a good example for me to do the same while, I'm, while my administration is saying nobody is above the law. So I will do this, but 
be clear, it is not a policy that my administration supports, and it is not something that we're going to request additional funding right. for. So, yes, I will do this. No one is above the law, including me, when Congress uh, mandates it. But no, it is not my policy, and no, it is not my intention to do this some more. And yes, I understand the environmental and other um, humanitarian issues that involve this. And I ask Congress again to put forth a bill of comprehensive immigration reform that I can sign. That's what he should say. And I think that yeah. he'd be right to say that. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I, but, you know, it, See, I should become his spokesman, but I just, don't, <laughs> I just don't have time. You know, with this podcast, I just, I, you know, I'm working all week to be ready for this podcast. <laughs> Me too. You know, immigration has become so strange, though. It's the thing that bugs me about all of this is, and look, you you guys both know how we've talked about this before, but, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on the border, and this is not the issue that everyone claims it is. It's it's a political football. It's used, it's one of the strangest issues in politics where, you know, it's almost become bipartisan with Mayorkas and others saying this week, you know, we got to do something about it, but they really don't understand what it is they've got to do. And I, I mean, the, the causes of illegal immigration are deep and long uh, seated. And we, our government has a role to play and has had a role to play in creating the entire problem. Um, and we don't ever prosecute large businesses who hire illegal immigrants, but we go after the illegal immigrants. They are today's slaves. They are a, they are coin of the realm. They are simply used as a chattel in, in our economic system. And it pisses me off. But that being said, I get it what the president did, but I don't know that this is going to make any difference in any race, anywhere. <laughs> Just, well, I mean, I was going to say, I was going to say the answer for Democrats here uh, and an old source who was in the budget game for a, a very long time used to tell me, um, and, and this was not, he was not a political guy. He was a career civil servant. Um, and his advice to the elected folks and folks who worked for elected officials was you want to change the budget, win more elections. Yeah. <laughs> That's, gee, I've heard that before. And he said he told he told administrations of both parties. He worked at, at OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, under under Republican and Democratic presidents. And he said he told administrations of both parties, "You don't like it, you got to win more elections." Well, and I, I I think in this case though, it's an issue that people don't fully understand. I mean, most illegal immigration is you can't. There's no wall that's going to be effective. I I I get tired of hearing it. You can't build a wall. There's a 1950 mile long border part of that is through uh on the rio grande through the uh big bend area of texas where you, you can't build a wall you can't build a wall through a mountain it's not going to work you can't do it <laughs> and then you can go around a wall which they've done on occasion they can go under a wall they can take to the sea but most of these people and look and and i've said this before i've stood in drug tunnels in tijuana and did a stand-up and I'm talking about a tunnel that was like two lane wide expressway that went underneath the damn ground and came up in Southern California and you ship drugs and people through it. So you can go under the wall. You can put so a let me just, over let, me, let me just interrupt though, for the listening audience, as your attorney, 
Brian was there as a reporter. As a reporter. He was not, <laughs> he was not, he was not participating in any <laughs> illegal activity. I just wanted to I just wanted to listen to the audience to be clear because your 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 statement was a little bit vague there, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, well, as I said at the beginning of this segment, welcome back to America's Most Wanted. That's where yeah, I, I was believe, there for. And uh and I believe that was a billable hour. Yeah, that's yes, exactly. there you go. It was a billable hour. Well, we had a delicious dinner at Brian's last night, so I'm going to take that as my uh, fee. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, and at the end of the day, most of this illegal crossing is done at the checkpoints. So I just don't get where any of this matters worth a hill of shit, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so when, wow. with that, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, Donald Trump drops his suit against Michael Cohen and the economy adds jobs and nobody's talking about it. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back, and it's the King Biscuit Flower Hour and the uplifting news of the day. <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, <laughs> just asked the question, and, you know, you couldn't be uh, uh, more uplifting than, the, as John and Michael were both pointing out in the break, it's uplifting news 24 hours a day, tw- seven days a week. And in the uplifting news of the week, Donald Trump has dropped his lawsuit against Michael Cohen, at least temporarily. Does that mean anything, Michael? (laughs) Yes, it does. It means that Donald Trump, who was about to have to sit for a deposition in that case, will no longer have to sit for that deposition. And I think the smart money said that Donald Trump, realizing that one, this this lawsuit was a loser, every other lawsuit he has filed um, along the same lines he has lost or had to withdraw, uh, that this one being the loser that it was likely to be, and that he was now going to have to sit under oath and say why what Michael Cohen said was true in his mind or not true, um, he backed out. He chickened out, if you will. You know, um, Chris Christie wants to call him Donald Duck, and maybe the, the other farm animal should be something to do with um chicken little yeah but um but he he, he's sure you know uh moving closer to the fowl family uh, (laughs) than than uh staying with the homo sapiens yeah well you know he does do a lot of clucking that's Mm -hmm. so john there's your lead (laughs) donald duck or chicken little donald 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 duck or chicken little uh trump you know, sort of bales. Yeah. Now, now I just have foghorn leghorn. Yeah. I, I say boy, <laughs> I say boy. I say boy, yeah. I, now I, just have... they ought, I say they ought to call him Busted Shredder because he's always flapping in the breeze. Now, there goes an hour of my afternoon as I watch foghorn leghorn videos on YouTube. Yeah, so 
uh, John, were we surprised? Seriously, were you surprised by it? I I was surprised by it uh, for all the reasons that Michael walked through and and Donald Trump, um, you know, if he could, uh, if he could make Michael Cohen pay more lawyer fees, um, boy, I I didn't I didn't see him dropping that effort, and he wants and you know he wants to discredit uh, Mr. Cohen, and 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 punch holes in his credibility because of course Mr. Cohen is going to be a witness in in. And and at least two of these trials that that Trump's uh, undergoing, uh, the two in New York, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, you know this was a way to do that, and now and now he's walked away from it. So yeah, I was surprised. It's not really Trump's style. Um, I wonder who convinced him. That's I'm always curious uh, when Donald Trump does something like this. Who was the who was the person in the room that was able to convince him? Because that's a hard hard job, and we saw it covering the White House. Yeah, I, I was wondering, you, you know, is the other shoe going to drop? What what is it yeah. just that Donald Trump is overwhelmed? And, and Michael makes you make a great point. Um, so there's another lead possibility. Zeldin finally makes great points. <laughs> Show title. Look, he he's on fire. <laughs> well, that, now we've now we've got the chatter for the social. Yeah, the social <laughs> uh, blurb. But it, but it, it's a great it is a great point that Donald Trump will not sit still for a deposition. He doesn't want to be deposed, and so yeah. he he would take it to the very uh, as far as he could, costing Michael Cohen as much as he could. But yeah. at the end of the day, would back out when he's staring. I think the reason why he backed out, if there's another shoe to drop, is just that all the other stuff that he's facing. And I so I don't think that's much of a you know a surprise. I mean. With all that Donald Trump is facing, and he's facing quite a bit, I don't understand how anyone could be uh, who would think. I know, and I spoke, well, all right, I say it with this predicate. I spoke to Michael Cohen earlier this week. He's very uh, happy that it was dropped. Um, He still has concerns because of Donald Trump. But there's a guy who was paying, who has no, you know, he's spending most of his money just trying to keep himself alive against these this suit by Donald Trump. So I I in in regards in that regards I I was a little surprised that he that he you know dropped it when he did but then again not surprised cuz he didn't want to be deposed. Yeah, I, well, Cohen should be filing a motion for legal fees against Trump for what I think was a frivolous lawsuit by by Trump and so I hope Michael's lawyer asks for attorney's fees, because we've seen that be successful against Giuliani and some of the others who have filed these uh, frivolous lawsuits. And this one, I think, falls into that category. So when you speak to Michael again, Brian, I'll tell him you I'll tell him you recommended that. Yeah. Okay. thanks. (laughs) I will. (laughs) And my and my and I I will not unlike you, where I give legal advice only for um, pay, uh, I'll give Cohen pre legal advice. (laughs) <laughs> oh i'll give legal advice if you want <laughs> i don't know if it's worth anything but if you'll pay <laughs> the other thing we want to take a look at while we're taking a look at uh, things that have gone on this week and like i said it's just a a never-ending uh parade of upbeat news the uh, u.s economy did add three hundred thirty thousand jobs we're told but you still can't hear about it and have Biden get any credit for it. All we hear about is the gas prices 
uh, being too high. Uh, John, you surprised by that? Or, I mean, I, first of all, I want to know where are these jobs? <laughs> but, but that's, that's an, uh, what jobs are we talking about? <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's a lot of jobs. Yeah. That's a lot of jobs for one month. It is a little puzzling. Um, are these real jobs? Are these just ads? How are we measuring all this these days with, you know, the proliferation of, of online ads? Um, yeah, are, are companies, are that many companies really hiring this many people? I, I don't know. Um, but you know, on the, on the one hand, that's a positive job. I think it's uh, picking lettuce down on the border now that they've could be down on, (laughs) but go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> could be um uh, uh so on the one hand you know that's that's positive positive news um for the economy but on the other hand it didn't take very long and and you mentioned gas prices are still high i just filled up this week and you know it was almost 40 bucks to fill i think mine a 12 gallon tank in a sedan so there you go still still pretty expensive to do that um you know, prices haven't gone down. Inflation might have leveled off, but it's not like, you know, your supermarket or or the maker of your your favorite soda has dropped the price of, of a 12 pack of cans, you know, so prices stayed high. They didn't go back down to pre-inflation levels. So people are still feeling it. That's why he doesn't get any credit because it still costs 10 bucks over here at the local giant for 12 uh, seven up zeros. And, you know, before it was 950 or it was 940 or whatever it was. So those prices aren't going down. We know how, how capitalism works. So that's why he doesn't get any credit for it. Gas prices are still high and, and the price of everything is still up. Now, I will say but this. How much I, of it is he, they don't tout their own horn very well. That's I go back to that. They don't. You know, the, president, the president gave remarks. Uh, on Friday, I was pinch hitting on on our White House beat, and you know I didn't send more than a blurb in into to our operation. I didn't write a story. You know he came he came into I believe it was the Roosevelt Room, and he read off a prompter, and it was the same spiel. They don't break through on this, and I'm not sure they're going to. What I hear from from some other reporters and from you know Democrats and strategists is. Oh, he's got plenty of time to break through. Don't worry. Long time to election oh, day. This economic message. Yeah, I, I don't buy that. Excuse me. If, if it hasn't broken through by now, um, I'm not sure it's going to. And oh, by the way, um, a lot of the economists that I've read and seen quoted in, in, in television and what have you is since the jobs report came out is, yes, this is positive, but now there are worries that the economy is growing too fast. And so yes. the federal so the Federal Reserve is likely to raise interest rates again to try to slow the economy. So if you're if you're Joe Biden, you just got to be throwing your hands up when you're reading this stuff and your advisors are telling you that, you know we we expect Chairman Powell and the Fed to uh to boost interest rates again because you know, that's that's going to be another gut punch to people who want to buy a house or, you know, they need a new car or, you know, wh- whatever the case may be. So, you know, the economy seems to be, it does seem to be fundamentally strong, but there are all these, there are all these related currents coming against Biden at the same time. And I don't know how you message 
that the Federal Reserve is doing this because they have an economic theory. I, I, I wouldn't want to try to message that in, in a general election in the United States of America in 2023, 2024. Is, Michael, do you think that, uh, well, first of all, the economy adding 333,000 jobs is is significant, but do you think that uh, the Biden administration is falling down on letting people know what it's doing? Well, apparently, because John is focused on the price of gas and uh, the Biden administration can't break through that the price of gas is something that is a decision that is sort of outside of his control with, you know, gas being produced by Saudi Arabia Arabia. and 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 they're jacking the price up. And uh, we, we are drilling um, and producing more than we ever have. That was the, you know, a Biden uh, inheritance from the Obama administration, which you know sort of went in in that, in that direction against environmentalists' uh, desires, um, and he can't break through on the notion that there's still price gouging going on. That in that that one of the reasons that diapers and toothpaste and uh, other household necessities cost so much is because these companies are still price gouging, and and nobody's about to put you know. Uh, price uh, controls in, in place, and um, unless these companies, you know, decide that it's in the national interest to behave responsibly, as opposed to just their fiduciary interests to their uh, stockholders, I think we're going to be in this difficult situation where you have all these new uh, jobs being um, created, yet the cost of, of goods day to day remains high. And so people who, you know, wages are also rising. And so, and and labor unions are gaining more um, muscle and they're negotiating contracts with United Auto Workers and with Kaiser Health. And so there are positive trends for workers um, in America. When the president of the United States walks a picket line, um, that's a important symbolic act uh, I, Which I he got no, I mean, very little play for. I, I, yeah. I hear you, but I, I mean, so, so, I, so as I said, you know, because I am so bogged down with this damn podcast, I can't turn over, I can't turn my turn, <laughs> my, my attention to the White House's messaging. Um, <laughs> but they do have a messaging problem. I see. I, I think it all boils down to the, I, it is, you know, I asked in the briefing room this week. You know, I, I noted. And I said I, to Corrine and, and John, you know, you you know what it's like covering the White House. And so I said, listen, you just spent and took five questions from the pool in a, in a meeting in the Roosevelt Room. She goes, yes. And we, you know, we like talking to. But I said, all right, fine. When are you going to put the president of the United States out here in the briefing room to take questions from the rest of us? And every two months I ask that question because at the end of the day, I don't think they're getting their met. They like to think that through their viral videos and their agents out in, in, in the world, you know, in, in uh, social media, that they can get their word out. But I don't, you don't see it in the polls. You don't see it in the donor class. You don't see it in, in, in uh, Congress. No one is afraid of the power of this presidency. Are they, John? No. In a word, no, they're not. And he has not set foot in uh, in the briefing room since he became president. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, and you know, that's that's a and nice he's only space. had two press conferences yeah. at the White that's, House. Yes, what exactly what I was gonna say is um it the, the, the briefing room is a nice space to do it, it's a natural space to do it. Um, I think you know, it would probably it would it would behoove him to do it, but there are other places he could do a press conference. He could do it in the East Room, he could do it in the state the dining Rose room. Garden. The Rose Garden. It's you know, it's lovely weather now. We're gonna get yeah. our, probably our best three weeks of weather here before perpetual November sets in in the DMV. Well, if, but so you know, can, if it's in the Rose Garden, it's always a hundred degrees and sunny. Yeah, they, you call it the heat sink, and you're exactly yeah. right. So, yeah, there are places he could do this in at the White House on the grounds, the South Court Auditorium. For goodness' sakes, they like that room. He likes that yeah. room. You could do it there. It wouldn't be a natural venue, but you could you could you could make it work. Um, and I don't know why, because we've talked about it here. Um, you know, I used to walk and talk with with Chairman Biden, ranking member Biden when he was a senator, and he is still pretty good at this. Um, I have noticed that that some of these interactions with the pool, you know, he looks very much like an 80 year old man. Sometimes some of these interactions are are a bit awkward, but it's still good when he takes questions, even if it is just the pool. Um, that's part of what the pool's there for. Um, now we can quibble over the questions. Um, oh, but we don't have to quibble. They suck, but go ahead. <laughs> he could stick around a little longer. He could take more yeah. than three or four. And, you know, he's, he goes on when he wants to, I think we get in, in the, those pool interactions from, from Biden, you get a lot of three, four, five word answers and, uh, a formal press conference, it would be harder to get away with that because there would be more people who would say, okay, he would call on the next person and they would, in that venue where you know you're going to get him for about an hour, you can say, I have a question, but I want to, I want to press you on what she was asking about. Right. She didn't really answer Mr. President. And it's more of a free willing back and forth than when you just have the pool in the Roosevelt room and they're packed in with the cameras and the president is literally three steps from a door. And can get out of there if he wants. And to. you have to shout a question out that is ten words right. or less usually. I mean, there's no yeah, nuance. Right. You're <laughs> trying to get his attention. You're yelling over each other. Sometimes yeah. the pool coordinates, and that's great. But um, you know, we've all got different questions, so um, so so you're not always coordinating who's going to ask first. What do we want to ask first? Um, and sometimes you you know you you have people who are filling in pooling, and, and so it's just not. It's not always. Well, I don't know. My question was, if you can take five questions to the pool, why don't you come out here two or three times, you know, every, every six weeks and do that in this briefing room? Yeah, I, I, That's, I thought, at, at the end of the day, people mm -hmm. outside of the pool need to ask him questions. When he came back from he 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 split his summer vacation. He was in Rehoboth, Delaware at his private residence for a week. He came back to the White House for most of a week and then he went to Utah. And fair enough, presidents need a break. They need to get away. I understand that. Uh, I didn't really criticize. I have never really criticized any president that I've covered uh, for taking that summer break. Right. And the White House, they have to do construction and they were working on the situation room. Fair enough. When he got back in August from that second leg of his vacation, from the Utah leg, that was a natural time to do a press conference, a formal press conference. Do it at night. There's an idea. Take over prime time with a primetime press conference from the White House. Um, but they just, they don't believe in it. That, that You have to conclude this far into the term that they just don't 
believe in that. And you're right. They want to put videos on social media. It's not moving the needle. By the way, despite all of Trump's problems, they're tied nationally. Now, I know it's a long time, but it's remarkable that the economy is this strong. I traveled recently, went through two airports. They were packed. Yeah. People spending money everywhere I go is packed. So, you know, people are spending, but they, they just don't feel good about things. And, you know, maybe that kind of messaging change, well, some kind of primetime press conference, they, they just need a new approach. They need yeah, to tear it I up. I mean, remember, I, Michael, I, well, I, none of us were really around for it, but, you know, remember the fireside chats that, that you know, FDR gave. It, the idea of feeling good, part of the thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the thing of, of a president is to build a national uh, camaraderie, a unity, a, a cohesion, and you can't do it if nobody sees you. Well, yes, that's true. I think that I've said before that were I running Biden's campaign, and again, this damn podcast, if yeah. I were running Biden's <laughs> campaign, I would have him take a lesson from Truman's 1948 campaign where he got on the back of a train and just crisscrossed the country um, from his armored caboose car talking to average citizens about the benefits that they have received under his uh, you know, partial administration when he took over from Roosevelt and what they expect to receive um, going forward. And you know, that's the famous um, Dewey defeats Truman yeah. election where Truman won. He actually sort of won going away a bit. Um, but Truman was very effective, not a great public speaker, but very effective at a sort of household level of of communicating. Yeah. And Biden is is that, you know, no pun intended, he's a touchy-feely sort of of guy. He just exudes empathy. Um people like him when they meet him um on a on a personal level. And he should be out there doing more of that. And I I, you know, unless there's something that I don't understand about his his health. I just don't understand why he isn't out among the people at this very retail level where he seems to have his greatest um, success. Yeah. And I think whatever his health problems are or aren't, it's apparent that he's able to hold himself together to put together a speech and take at least a few questions. So I would say, and I've said this, to, I said it to Corrine, I said it to uh, her predecessor, that uh, no one's better at you know disseminating the information of the presidency better than the president. So we need to have him out in front of us as often as possible. They don't get it. So anyway, we're going to end with a couple of questions. Uh, this is from Demlover76. It's for you, Michael. Will Donald Trump go to jail if he's found guilty, or will he be... <laughs> Will he be detained at Mar-a-Lago? What do you think will happen? I think they have a hard time jailing him in a federal correctional institution were he convicted and were that the appropriate sentence because he is a former president. He is entitled to Secret Service protection uh, for life. And I think that that's a hard place to protect anybody. You know, that said, there are possibilities. There are very low 
level uh, uh, federal prisons. There's one in uh, Pennsylvania that's really sort of more looks more like a a farm or a summer camp than it does right. a federal prison. They I suppose could create the Donald Trump wing, you know, wing of of, of it. <laughs> Of Dan Barry um, minimal minimal correction facility. <laughs> you know, it's nice to have a a, a wing at a federal <laughs> penitentiary named named after you. Um, Most presidents get a library. Why? Why? Yeah, not? but you know, so he's a trendsetter. You know, that's right. a possibility. That's right. uh, so I think it's hard. I think it's hard from a security standpoint because whether you like him or not, he is the former president of the United States. He is entitled to Secret Service protection, and you want to make sure that there's no break in that tradition simply because you don't like the person. That's just not the way the system is supposed to work. It's supposed to apply to all equally. So could they do I, the John Dean thing with him? Could they end up putting him on a, you know, like a military base? They could. Yeah, they could do that. They, I mean, there. that's what I'm saying. There are places where he could be um, housed outside of Mar-a-Lago. And, you know, if accountability is important and you want to, um, show the, the the world, if you will, that even the president of the United States sometimes must has to stand naked, as Bob Dylan sang, that, you know, he is not going to be able to spend this period of incarceration, if that's what he's sentenced to, in the luxury of Mar-a-Lago, but he's going to have to live in a more, you know, pedestrian uh, environment. So Motel if Six. I, if I were, if I were, a judge, and I felt that the nature of his crimes were such that a period of incarceration was required. I think I would look for a place like a military base or uh, a secluded wing of a, a federal facility and not have him be able to stay in the opulence of, of the Trump Tower or Mar-a-Lago or any other place where it doesn't seem to the average person that he was held accountable for his uh, the behavior for, of which he was convicted. For for me, I, I would recommend that the, the federal government already owns it. Just reopen Alcatraz with one person. Have all the Secret Service there, and he can have full reign of Alcatraz. Oh, oh, well, or you could charge twenty bucks for tours, and you could watch him uh, behind bars for an extra twenty bucks. <laughs> so, one thing I'll add. One thing. If it happens, whatever the arrangement is, it's going to be um, circus. It's yeah, well, yeah, it's Trump, so it has to be that. But it's going to be very manpower intensive, and there will have to be structures built and all kinds of things that will be very expensive. And we're going to pay for it. Yeah, taxpayers are going to foot the bill. And the second letter I have is for you. But can I just say one thing, John? Yep. Which is that. That may be worth the price of accountability. Yeah, sure, so, sure, sure. Yeah, I wasn't. We'll that was in the critical test, statement. Right? That's right. Even if we have to foot the bill, and even if you think, "Oh my God, we have so many more important things to spend our money on," accountability uh, for criminal behavior, uh, especially elected officials, uh, is is important. Like you wouldn't want to see Agreed. Senator totally Menendez. Agree were convicted uh, for the allegations of corruption in New Jersey, you wouldn't want to have uh, an answer, which is, well, he's a former senator, so let him just stay in his, you know, apartment in, in, uh, on the Jersey Shore. That wouldn't be acceptable. So equal justice for all. That's why, that's why the statue of justice, you know, the scales, holding the scales is got a blindfold because right. the, the, the 
it's supposed to be blind. It's not supposed to be based on who you are. Totally agree. So, all right. So the second uh, letter is from Rosie 67. And for you, John, is the House of Representatives irrelevant? No. Because um, the Constitution makes clear that it's not. For instance, um, this doesn't always happen, but funding bills are supposed to originate in the House of Representatives. And just because a faction of the party that you don't like and you don't like the faction even more than the party you don't like um, is 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 this faction right now has outsized power um, you know it doesn't it doesn't make the institution or the entity in this case the house uh, irrelevant uh, because without the house for instance the government's going to shut down on November 17th and, with the you know, with the house, they're going to shut down. Right. Well, well, but but sure, but sure, but you know, we were talking last night. Um, you know, the military eventually won't get paid. Federal law enforcement won't get paid, and you can't get them paid again if it shuts down without uh, the House of Representatives. Uh, for uh, declaration of war could be uh, needed down the road at some point. You can't do that without the House. So it may feel like it right now. I know that it probably for folks who aren't as close to it as as we are here in Washington, it it may look and feel like a circus. Uh, by the way, sometimes it may look it and is. feel that way to us too, um, and I'm sure it does, and for good reason. Um, but you know, this is this is important. The Speaker of the House is fourth in line to the presidency. He is a constitutional. He or she is a constitutional official. So that matters. Uh, it matters. The House does matter. You know, I'm, I've said it here and, and elsewhere. I joke that I'm a Senate guy. Um, so I understand, you know, the House to me is very unwieldy. When I'm on the House side of the Capitol, when I'm doing reporting, it feels so much different than the Senate side. Um, well, yeah. And so I, I understand the criticisms of, the, of, of, of folks who might think the House feels irrelevant right now. Um, but but it's not. Uh, again, it's a constitutional position, Speaker, and hopefully Republicans get this sorted out. And um, I do think the rule change needs to happen. You can't just have one member in a body of 434 other people um, with so much power. And, you know, maybe they'll address that. If they address that, maybe the House feels a little more relevant. Or at least a little more normal. I don't find it irrelevant. I just find it, it it's the House of Representatives. Representative of what? And I would say representative of the discourse and disunity of the United States. It, it's representative right. of our culture. It, I mean, you I look think at so. it, if there's any problems in our culture, you see them right there in the house. <laughs> so with that being said, it, it draws the end to another cheery uh, edition of <laughs> Just Ask the Question. Michael, where can we find you and where, what would you like to plug? The podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's a book-based podcast, which boils the ocean of topics. Last week, it was Heather Cox Richardson on the state, the fragile state of our democracy. This week, it was with the writers and directors of the movie Airplane. Surely you can't be serious. And stop calling serious. me Shirley. Stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> so um, it's a lot of fun. It's an hour-long, in-depth uh, book interview with the authors, and I invite you to have a listen. A hospital? What is it, doctor? 
That's a building where we take care of sick people. That's not important now. Anyway. My, my favorite, let me just say, having rewatched the movie and then read the book, they wrote a book about the making yeah. of it. It's, a, it's, an it's such an interesting story. These three Jewish kids from suburban Milwaukee end up making one of the most iconic comedies, number 10 on the AFI, American Film Institute, list of best comedies um, ever. Uh, but the one that makes me always smile the most is the uh, Ted Stryker, the the pilot, is sitting in the back. He has PTSD from the war, and he's a very nervous flyer. And the woman next to him says, um, nervous? He says, very. She says, first time, meaning first time yeah. on a plane. He says, first time. He says, no, no, I've been nervous, nervous before. many times. <laughs> <laughs> I like his drinking problem. He just can't <laughs> hit his mouth. But how do you how, how do you like your coffee? Like my men, black. And it's, it's said by a twelve year old, maybe twelve or eleven nine year old kid. Yeah, that's, John never throws up at home. Anyway, so John, your turn, brother. Where can we find you? Uh, we are going uh, all hands on deck to cover the speakers race this week and uh, everyone can follow along and I hope you will at rollcall.com and the name of this podcast is just ask the question the name of the book is free the press and it's second or third or 27th printing I don't know one of those but buy it early buy it often and of course you can always catch me every uh, Thursday in salon.com with a column on the White House in DC so with that being said guys thanks again it's been a lot of fun and always cheery always upbeat uh, catch us next week for another edition of Just Ask the Press. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we will catch you next time.